Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number 115, where we go back, back to, the, to past the past and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com or subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and from Nambian National Public Radio, depending on your ethnic class. Uh-huh. Do not listen if you are in the wrong class. You can mm-hmm. be arrested. Uh, We are talking about Hal Jordan's Action Comics Part 2 this week. This is as depicted in Action Comics Weekly overall, issues 601 to 642. This week we'll be covering 615 to 623, plus Green Lantern Special number 1 from 1988. Uh, So we are going through the weekly issues, but only the Green Lantern Parts of them, yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, a little re- recap to what you might have missed last week, although we do strongly recommend you listen to the first episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time of the books that we're covering, Action Comics was celebrating its 50th anniversary. Action Comics number one launched with a June 1938 cover date and hit newsstands on April 18th of that year. The first issue was the first appearance of a certain Man of Steel, who would be the title's flag bearer until right around now. Action Comics number 583, September 1986, cover date, was part two of Alan Moore and Kurt Swan's Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, which closed out Superman's pre-crisis exploits. Now from here, John Byrne would take point on the Superman titles, first transforming Action Comics into a sort of Superman team-up book. Those were issues 584 through 599, and that was taking over for the recently departed DC Comics Presents. Yep. Uh, after the landmark 600th issue, which featured Superman and Wonder Woman having uh, some of their first post-crisis snogging, uh, the book would once again transform, and this time it would transform into the weird weekly that we're covering today. Let's jump over to the Green Lantern Corps. Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern of Earth, maintained a monthly title with a few hiccups mm-hmm. ever since 1960. He would share the title with Green Lantern, I'm sorry, Green Arrow, during a legendary run by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Yeah, often called the hard traveling heroes run, even though I don't Absolutely. think that's, that's ever not... said in the comic <laughs> itself, so but that's what we come to know it as. Uh, after Hal's bosses, the Guardians of the Universe, decided to get their freaks on with the Zamorans, the focus of the title shifted from Hal and his stand in, quote unquote, John Stewart, to the overall Green Lantern Corps. This would go down in Green Lantern Volume 2, number 200, May 1986, cover date. For the next couple of years, the book would be retitled Green Lantern Corps. The ensemble cast included Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Katatui, Katmatui, Aricia, uh, Chip, Salak, and Kilowog. Toward the end of the run, their lanterns unwittingly damned the Corps to powerlessness. After sentencing the villain Sinestro to death, the Corps broke a vow never to kill a Korrigarian. And if this all sounds... Crazy, telling you, last episode, we we went to much more depth (laughs) into it. Uh, But that would result in the central power battery breaking down into nothingness, and so the core were no more. Hal's ring would survive, and so Hal and company would segue from Green Lantern Core to 
Action Comics Weekly. And this was taken from the germ of an idea to produce a weekly anthology series featuring DC's newly acquired Charlton Action Heroes characters. The pending Crisis on Infinite Earths with a dash of fear of poor sales put a kibosh on that one. Yes, uh, DC editor Mike Gold, however, would not let the idea go. Uh, Action Comics would be transformed into Action Comics Weekly with its 601st issue and would remain weekly, like we said earlier, until issue 642. And uh, we'll get there. Uh, Not today, but (laughs) eventually we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, Now, with the recap out of the way, let's hop right into the next issue of Action Comics Weekly. That's Action Comics Weekly number 615. That hits shelves August 30th, 1988. Has a cover of Wild Dog by Barry Crane. And the story we're going to discuss is called Freaks by Peter David and newcomer Richard Howell. Mm. Uh, before we get into it, let's meet Peter David. It's going to be in brief, relatively speaking. Yeah, we met him last uh, last time. We so. did. <laughs> yeah, if you want the if you want the big bite on Peter David, just listen to last episode. Uh, Peter Allen David. He was born September twenty third, nineteen fifty six, in Fort Meade, Maryland. Though he did grow up in New Jersey. He attended his first comic book convention around the time that Jack Kirby's New Gods premiered. Uh, New Gods number one premiered it with a February-March 1971 cover date. Um, after asking his father to take him to one of Phil Suling's shows in New York, David uh, would obtain Kirby's autograph. Uh, his earliest interest in writing came through the journalism work of his father, Gunther. Uh, David began to entertain the notion of becoming a professional writer around age 12. Uh, he even bought a copy of The Guide to the Writer's Market in hopes of becoming a reporter. He would attend NYU, and he graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in journalism. His first professional assignment was covering the World Science Fiction Convention that was held in Washington in 1974 for the Philadelphia Bulletin. And his first piece of fiction was published in Asimov's Science Fiction. He came to work in book publishing, first as an assistant in the E.P. Dutton imprint Elsevier Nelson, and then he worked in sales and distribution for Playboy Paperbacks. He moved over to Marvel's sales department where he worked under Carol Kalish and eventually succeeded, succeeded Carol as sales manager. Three years into his tenure as direct sales manager, Jim Owsley became editor of the Spider-Man titles. Remembering a good turn uh, when he became an editor, he purchased a Spider-Man story from David, which appeared in the spectacular Spider-Man number 103, June 1985 cover date. He then purchased The Death of Gene DeWolf, Spectacular Spider-Man number 107 to 110. That's an October 85 to January 86 cover dates. That's a landmark Spider-Man story. Uh, David would start a long and storied run on Marvel's Incredible Hulk. And during that same time, he was a freelancer, which allowed him to have a brief stint here on Action Comics Weekly. Also, mm-hmm. welcome artist Richard Howell. So now, Aresia looks like a horror blended from a mix of Don Bluth and ElfQuest, with the, with the charm of neither. It's it's very, very weird. <laughs> she looks funny, yeah. She's very elfin yes. here. <laughs> Let's hop across the table and meet that fellow, Richard Howell. He was born November 16, 1955. He'd entered the comics industry in 1977 with his self-published series, Portia Prince of the Glamazons. It uh, saw six issues. He and his uh, partner, Carol Kalish, would co-edit the New Media Earjacks line of magazines. We learned about that a while ago. Uh, Now, uh, Howell replaced Peter B. Davis as editorial director for New Media Earjacks in 1983. Uh, They were a comics distributor owned by Steve Geppi. He was the guy who later started Diamond Distributors. And they uh, mostly moved the merchandise of others, but uh, would would produce some of their own industry-focused magazines. Uh, again, you can find out more about this whole uh, whole deal with our two-part Weird Comics History series on the direct market, and you can find that in the archives. 
But we, what we don't get, though, is the fact that Peter David was succeeded by uh, Richard Howell, who worked with Carol Kalish, who it's, was Peter David's boss. You know what I mean? <laughs> Something funny crazy. happened here, folks. There was definitely a little, uh, you know, I, I know a guy kind of situation going on here. It's true. Uh, so Howell began working for Marvel Comics in 1981. His first published work was Marvel Super Special number 24, the Dark Crystal movie adaptation that had a November 1982 cover date. And he began working for DC Comics in 1983. His first uh, cover, his first one was Green Lantern Volume 2, number 162, and that had a March cover date. Writer Tony Isabella and Howell produced the Shadow of War, Shadow War of Hawkman limited series in 1985 and an ongoing Hawkman series the next year. Howell and writer Steve Englehart crafted a 12-issue The Vision and the Scarlet Witch limited series in 1985-1986, wherein the Scarlet Witch became pregnant, and then he got involved in this thing. Yes. Uh, now, if the way we wrapped things up last episode didn't make it clear, this is most definitely the start of a new arc. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, it opens with Aresia acting as a spokesmodel for a sort of a self-defense device. It's uh, called the Hurricane, and it comes from high tech. Uh, now, they call Hurricane a storm in a can, which you think more or less mace or pepper spray, but only a, a hell of a lot worse. Yeah, some kind of a super base. There's yeah. a familiar-looking huckster there who says... High-tech's Hurricane will dispatch any mugger up to 300 pounds, and it is still small enough to clip onto a charm bracelet. No more fumbling in pocketbooks for mace. Just be careful not to mix it up with your antiperspirant in the morning. Hmm. Hal watches the demonstration before taking a walk around the rest of the, uh, the Techno Fair 88. Uh, along the way, he passes a demo for... Sorry, Techno Fair... Uh, Background music, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, along the way, he passes a demo for Gioberti Industries' hand-activated electronic safe. And, uh, you know, we, we will be getting back to that. Sure, <laughs> that yeah. wasn't uh, by accident. No. Uh, back at the Hurricane exhibit, the huckster, who we know as Ali, tries to hit on Aresia a bit before being confronted by Veronica. Uh, Aresia turned him down flat, by the way, anyway, so it doesn't yeah. matter. Now, we don't get a look at Veronica's face. She's decked out in a red with a giant fashionable hat. And she goes, striking out again, Molly? Son of a... Son? My, you haven't been with a woman for a long time, have you? Is she really not familiar with the exclamation son of a... Right, uh, yeah. They didn't call her a son. I mean, you no. Know. Uh, we learned that Veronica is part of the competition. She's also a creator of devices and whatnot. As she leaves the exhibit, she bumps into Hal Jordan. Pardon me, handsome. Hal thinks to himself, great guardians. What an incredible hat she has. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Back at the high-tech exhibit, Ollie prepared to show off another device, the Collapser. And it's pretty clear that it's not quite ready for prime time yet. No, he thinks to himself... I shouldn't even be demonstrating this. Supposed to be waiting for General Carruthers to pick up this prototype. But I know Veronica. She gets turned on by power. And I like being in a position to turn on Veronica Hawks. Hope she's watching. What a pervert. Really? Uh, now, as, as Ollie demos the collapser, a man in a trench coat emerges from the crowd of onlookers. He swipes the device and disrobes, revealing himself to be Siphon. Who? A member of the freak show. The freak what now? Uh, uh, this is uh, this is the uh, their his uh, this is his 
their first appearance. Okay, all right. Well, we'll we'll beat them here, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hal runs off to a phone booth so he can change into Green Lantern. That's cute. Another member of the freak show named Castle also disrobes and reveals himself. And uh, we mean reveals himself. It looks like he's wearing a sports bra and lace panties under that trench coat. It's crazy. It's one of the weirdest outfits, especially for a person <laughs> named Castle. I mean, I, anyway. Uh, he, Castle swaps places with another spokesmodel. You know, like castling and chess. You just sw- switch places right there. You'd never guess that Peter David wrote this. Right? Really? <laughs> no. Siphon then decks Aresia. Siphon says, "Hey Castle, check this. I think I just clobbered an elf." Well, if the ears fit, really. Right. <laughs> now, while Hal tries to capture Siphon in a construct cage, that smokes model from earlier snapmares Castle into the electronic safe from earlier, and slams the door shut behind him. <laughs> uh, we can see that the inside of the safe is completely yellow. By the way, uh, Castle then uses his castling powers to trade places with. Guess who? Oh. Hal Jordan. What the? Yeah, who, you know, is a kind of powerless against yellow. And wouldn't you know it, the electronic safe is on the fritz and at the moment cannot be opened. And that concludes the Green Lantern segment. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we move on to Action Comics Weekly number six, 616. That came out September 6, 1988. The cover is Blackhawk by Alex Toth. And uh, this title, uh, this story is Safe at Home by David and Howell. Here, Aresia imagined Howell dying inside the safe. She actually pictures an elaborate scene complete with the Green Lantern Corps carrying a yellow coffin through a graveyard. Why would it be yellow? We don't know. Uh, Guy Gardner's off to the side, rolling on the floor, laughing. <laughs> I think kids these days refer to that as raffling. I thought that meant you were throwing up. That, that's not what that means? Oh, maybe. Uh, that's, uh, that's rolling on the laughing floor. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, and also, uh, Aurisia is holding a, It's great. This scene. We got to share this one. Yeah. As as Guy is ruffling, uh, Aurisia is holding a gun up to her own head. It's, it's really, really great. It is. Um, <laughs> back in the real world, as she pounds on the safe, Huckster Ollie comes up from behind. Yeah, Aurisia says, Oh, Ollie, my lover is suffocating in a safe. And Ollie says, oh, does that mean you're free tonight after all? <laughs> this gets Ollie a well-deserved punch in the face. <laughs> not the time, dude, really. Right. <laughs> Timing is, 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 is uh, not, not, not is, is the right time, yeah. Uh, now, inside the safe, Hal is struggling, and his air is quickly running out. He uses his ring to give himself a little light. Then he uses his ring to scrape away the yellow paint. Lame. Come on, right. now. Come, Come on, on, dude. Cop out. Uh, with the paint scraped away, Hal wills, a, wills up a drill to punch out an air hole, which uh, nearly drills right into Aresia's back. We'll, we'll leave that one alone. We sure will. Yeah. <laughs> now, Hal then wills up uh, the... Well, basically the Incredible Hulk, who uh, prized the door off the safe. And so the crisis... Is averted. Well, not totally. There's still the matter of that freak show. Oh, yes. Hal says to Aresia, Did you see where the, the men who ran out of here went? No. I was so concerned about you, I... What? You mean you, mean you just stood around here accomplishing nothing? Kids these days, am I right? Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Blasted, Aresia. Did you lose your brain when you lost your ring? Sheesh, wow. <laughs> right? Uh, Hal takes off, kicking himself for misdirecting his anger at Aresia. Aresia, meanwhile, decides that this outburst means that Hal hates her, and she runs off before Hal can come back to apologize. 
kids. I know. Uh, now we shift scenes to the palatial the bathroom where Veronica <laughs> Hawks is having a bubble bath while also having a manicure and also dictating a letter to her secretary. <laughs> Uh, now, worth mentioning, we still can't see her face, by the way. Uh, it looks like we're going full-on soap opera villain here. Yeah, really. She's uh, she's everything to everyone right here. Yeah. Uh, she's hopeful that the debacle at the trade show will make it so Hawks International will become the leading government weapons manufacturer. Makes you wonder if she didn't have something to do with that. Hmm. At this point, we meet Veronica's little sister, Lillian, who burst in to inform her about what happened at the expo. Silly girl, Veronica already knows all about it. Of course. Yeah, and also, who barges in on a sibling while they're bathing? <laughs> okay, how close you are, really. That's, that's gross, right? That's, that's way over, yeah. That's way over, boy. <laughs> it's worth noting here that we do get to see Lillian's face, and she's, you know, a normal-looking brunette, by the way. Uh, we go back and rejoin Hal as he's paying a visit to Lieutenant Rensselaer. Him again? Yeah, I know. Can't get rid of him. Uh, he asked for some help tracking down the freak show geeks from the expo. Speaking of whom, let's go over to them. We learn that the spokesmodel that threw Castle into the safe is also one of the bad guys. She calls herself Runaround Sue. My favorite Dion song. I, I, I remember this when we were to talk about her. Uh, she, Castle, and Siphon enter a large, sort of like a throne room to figure out their next move. Uh, their boss, a female who's kept in the shadows, flips a coin. Heads, they kill Green Lantern. Tails, they attack another corporation. She flips it. We see from behind that she's a also she's a brunette uh, and wears a ring with an mm. H on it. And the coin comes up heads. Mm-hmm. This takes us right into the following issue. Action Comics Weekly number 617 hit shelves September 13th, 1988. Cover is Superman by Dean Motter. Uh, the story is called Assault on a Green by David and Howell. Uh, Hal returns to he and Arisia's hotel room, and he finds her deep in meditation, which he initially mistakes as the silent treatment. Yeah, my wife usually sits in a yoga pose with her eyes closed anytime she's tuning me out, too. That's pretty yeah. much what it is, yeah. Standard. Yeah. So he leaves. And he says, now if you'll excuse me, Arisia, I have other things to do than waste apologies on someone who hasn't even heard them. Yikes. Okay. Uh, next stop for Hal, the Chicago PD again. Uh, there, his friend, the lieutenant, shows him the files for Castle and Siphon. Turns out those files had been dumped because they've both been declared dead, killed in an industrial accident at Hawks Industries. The plot... Oh, <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, Hal takes off, planning to head over to Hawks. He passes a woman in dire need of help with her laundry. <laughs> uh, you, you see, she's hung it all up to dry atop an apartment building and a strong wind threatens to blow her unmentionables all over town. She's it is the Windy City. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. And if they, you know, that could, that could hit someone in the face. Could. Could be a lawsuit could right blind there. Blind a motorcyclist? <laughs> right. Uh, she yells, help! Somebody help! My laundry! Hal fixes her up and he gets a hug for his reward. Turns out this ain't just any old washerwoman. This is a member of the freak show called... In Cinderella, <laughs> who uh, heats Hal up. <laughs> oh, Peter David, you never let us down. Nope. <laughs> and Cinderella says, how about a little fire, Scarecrow? Yeah, she really does, doesn't she? <laughs> 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 now, Hal is then attacked by the other members of Freak Show, Siphon and Runaround Sue. Where's Castle? But Castle! 
<laughs> He'll get here. Oh, okay. uh, now it's it's a pretty even fight until Stasis joins the fray. What now? That's that's a new freak oh, show member, right. by the way. <laughs> uh, he locks Hal in a well, sort of stasis. Good. I like I like when the name tells you what they do. That's it's a, right on the tin, yeah. Right there. <laughs> Action Comics Weekly number six hundred eighteen. That was on sale September twentieth, nineteen eighty-eight. Cover is Nightwing and Speedy by John Bogdanov. This is an homage to the iconic Carmine Infantino best bat wishes piece from nineteen sixty-six. Uh, and if you saw it, you'd know what we meant. You know, yeah, you know, you know when you see it. This one's called First Encounter by David and Howell. And uh, Hal's still in Stasis's stasis bubble thing. <laughs> Castle's watching all this go down via telescope a few buildings away. He's annoyed that Siphon has started futzing around with Runaround Sue. Although she's probably giving them the runaround, I bet not anyway. But uh, mm. <laughs> we don't care enough about any of these folks, really. I mean, <laughs> do we really need a romance introduced here? <laughs> uh, we don't care about who's hooking up with who, so no, whatever. No. Uh, now, in Cinderella, fires a blast into the stasis bubble thing. Uh, only by now, Hal has regained enough of his senses to construct a fan to blow the blast back in stasis's face. <laughs> oh, boy. It looks like Hal's about to take care of business when Castle pulls that whole chess move thing and swaps places with him. Whoa. So it looks like they'll all live to fight another day. Oh, boy. We jump back to the hotel where Aresia gets a call about a modeling job. Hey, what could go wrong here? Mm-hmm. No worries, though, because she's already decided to leave Chicago. Uh, Hal repairs his torn costume and finally gets around to checking out Hawks Industries, which is a building with a giant H on it. Yeah, you order that right out of the supervillain really? catalog, right? I know. <laughs> uh, inside, a receptionist lets Miss Hawks know that she has a visitor. The receptionist says, Miss Hawks, you'll never believe this. Green Lantern is here in the reception area. Green Lantern? Yes, and he's demanding to see whoever's in charge. I didn't want to disturb. No, that's quite all right. Tell Mr. Lantern that someone will be right out. And this is revealed as being the demure brunette Lillian Hawks. Hal refers mm-hmm. to her as looking more Bambi than Godzilla. There is no no in between, right? One of my favorite books is uh, "Men Are from Bambi, Women Are from Godzilla." You ever read that one? Uh, that's a great one. <laughs> so I did my thesis on it. <laughs> right. Uh, she pleads ignorance. She has no idea why some of her deceased former employees would ever attack him, but with a slip of the tongue, suggests that her sister Veronica might have an idea. We discussed bioengineering, gene reconstruction, but she told me it was something she didn't want to get involved in. That we should stick with electronics. And we wrap up this chapter with Veronica entering the reception area. Veronica Hawks has nothing to hide. Uh oh. Okay, we jump to Action Comics Weekly number 619. That hit shelf September 27th, 1988. It's got a cover by Esteban Morado of Dead Man. The story is called Veronica by David and Howell. Now they're being credited as, clo- as co plotters. Okay. Uh, now we open with the big reveal Veronica Hawks is. Uh, some red-haired boy. Whoa, such a heck of a reveal. Whoa! I mean, really, we don't even get, like, a face at Tiger. You just hit the jackpot here. It's just, she just shows up. Why were they hiding her face? She's just like a... <laughs> She's just some lady. Just some lady. Not familiar. She's not scarred. She's just some lady. <laughs> uh, Hal instantly announces that he remembers her from the expo. Considering he was out of costume for their meeting, he might want to shut up about that. Right? Uh, he immediately accuses her of fraternizing with criminals. You'll find that I never fraternize, patronize, simonize, or any of the other dreary eyes to make society so annoyingly chummy. And Hal keeps pressing her about her involvement with the freak show. 
They're here. We both know it, so I strongly suggest you turn them over now or... Or what? You'll huff and puff and blow my house in? I'm not impressed with your attitude, sir, nor by your spandex tights. Although I will begrudgingly admit that the, you have the physique for them. Well, we can only go down from there. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what happens with her next line. Veronica gives Hal the boot. Yes. As Hal is escorted to the elevator by security, Ms. Hawks, well, a Ms. Hawks, dials up <laughs> Castle on the video phone. We're not giving it away, right? No. Uh, now, uh, she informs him that the Green Lantern is in the building and that it's time to put Plan Omega into effect. Castle says, Plan Omega? What the hell is that? Now, if your personal goons don't know the code names for your plans, then you're kind of just saying words, I mean, this right? is why we name them, folks. So you can yeah. remember, you know, you might as well say it's Plan Omaha. It's all the same one to Castle, apparently. <laughs> right? uh, we readers don't have the foggiest clue what Plan Omega is either, but we do see Miss Hawks pull a pistol out of her pocketbook. Mm-hmm. Downstairs, Hal is attacked by the Freak Show, and we wrap up with him being set ablaze by Incinderella while stuck inside a stasis bubble. Plan Omega, more like Plan Overkill. And Castle <laughs> says, bitchin'. That's a good way to end it. Uh, now, Action Comics Weekly, 620, October 4th, 1988. This one had a Secret Six cover by Mary Wilshire. Stories called Last Gasp by David and Howell. We pick up with Hal in flames, and the uh, freak show is giddily approaching. He's down. He's dirty. He's dead. Boys and girls, we killed Green Lantern. Well, no, you didn't. Uh, actually, the flaming Hal is just a hologram. A pink one? What, co- what color is Hal wearing right now? What's going on? Right, right. Uh, Hal reveals himself and constructs a pool cue, a pool cue and an eight ball. He takes down all the freak show minus Siphon with one shot. Moments later, he drops a large right robot onto Siphon, so don't worry, he gets his also. Yes. Hal escapes, and after the rest of the freak show points the blame at Castle, he... Castles with the security guard to get out of the basement or wherever the hell they are. I, 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 I like, did they let Hal off the elevator in the basement? It seemed like uh, it. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a hell of an escort. Uh, now we follow Hal into Ms. Hawk. We we actually follow what's his face into Castle. Ms. Hawk's office, mm-hmm. and uh, we see a rather contentious face-off. Castle says, "You, you set me up. That's what Plan Omega was." If things went sour, the others were supposed to turn me in, leaving you free and clear, as if you weren't behind all of this, and you'd spring them later. Very good, Castle. Figure that out all by yourself. I don't care how tired I am from Porton. I still got enough strength to take you down with us. Well, what he doesn't have the strength for is a stopping a bullet. No. Uh, Hawk shoot him, shoots him point blank in the chest with a blam. You... You still don't understand, Castle. We have all the information on your procedures for creating super beings safely tucked away in our computers. So why on earth would we need you? You are redundant. I never liked you anyway, you obnoxious little man. Do you finally get it, Castle? And we pan out, revealing the big bad here as being the demure brunette Lillian Hawks. No! <laughs> All this time, you were really just a pawn. Even now, with the puns, he's dead. Come on, come on. We need puns now more than ever. That's true. The the healing power of puns will help us. Uh, Hal rushes in and assumes that Lillian acted in self-defense. He he was going to kill me. Oh, my God. I think he's he's dead. They're going to throw me in jail. 
No, no, it's okay. It was self-defense. You'll be okay. And they embrace. Later, the police show up, and Hal gives Veronica a bit of sass. Considering he still thinks she's the queen of the whole Megillah, I guess that does make some sense. Hmm. Apropos of, well, probably nothing, Veronica claims to be a powerful woman who's attracted to powerful men. She claims that Hal, a powerful man, is attracted to a weaker woman in her sister. I mean, the police are currently taking Lillian's statement. Is it really the time for this? <laughs> Good God. <laughs> I, I like, just find it so funny. Can, can you hold like, on a second? <laughs> by the way, you know my sister's a total wimp, right? Okay, I just thought, like, <laughs> I, I would have stopped that guy. I'm just telling you. Anyway. <laughs> now, after, after Hal leaves, Veronica tells her sister to keep her mouth shut about everything that just went down. She also reminds her that she, Veronica that is, is the one in charge. Lillian waits for her sister to turn around before smiling evilly. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hal returns to the hotel to find Aresia moving out. Oh, they grow up so fast. Don't they? Turns out Hal's pretty okay with her leaving him. <laughs> Maybe at this point she's gotten too old for him, you think? Maybe. It's like Menudo. <laughs> it's over. You know, you hit 16, you're out. You're gone. <laughs> Hal goes, I, I think it might be best. Not even a kiss goodbye? Hal kisses her on her forehead like he's her like her cousin third removed or whatever. Mm-hmm. He goes, "If you need me, call." Share, and then over to Green Lantern Special Number One, nineteen eighty-eight mm-hmm. cover year. With this ring is in the title of this uh, story by Owsley and Smith. This special issue takes place in the midst of apartheid. And here's a little background before we start. And I want to reiterate a little. Background. Yes. This is a tremendous subject that could cover several podcasts with no comics talk at all. Certainly. But apartheid was a system of institutionalized racial segregation that existed in the British colony of South Africa from 1948 to 1994. Apartheid is Afrikaans, that is Dutch African. It's a word meaning separate, separateness or the state of being apart. Literally translates to aparthood. Uh, a, a post-World War II influx of migrant labor gave rise to the National Party, who believed in segregation. They divided South African society into four ethnic classes, white, black, colored, and Indian. South Africa was, although really there were two classes, white and non-white. And non-white, That yeah. basically is what it really came down to. South Africa was separated into districts in which certain ethnic classes were exclusive, unless by permit. And those were very difficult to get. In theory, each enclave would provide the same opportunities for each class. So, you know, you, if you lived in the uh, colored neighborhood and went to the colored, they would all be everything being equal. It would be great. But in practice, sure. the white and lighter skinned citizens of South Africa enjoyed a lifestyle that was impossible in the slums of the other ethnic classes. Absolutely. Uh, the Prohibition of Mixed Marriages Act of 1949 would prohibit marriages between persons of different races. And the Immorality Act of 1950 would make sexual relations with a person of a different race a criminal offense. Wild. Wild. Uh, The Reservation of Separate Amenities Act of 1953 effectively made separate whites-only beaches, parks, and other municipal spaces. The Suppression of Communism Act of 1950 would ban any party subscribing to communism, which was defined as any anti-government group. Hey, that's a very convenient little rule there. <laughs> yeah, you, you cast a wide net. <laughs> right. uh, now, education was segregated by the 1953 Bantu Education Act, and the Bantu Authorities Act of 1951 would create separate government structures for blacks and whites. 
The Prohibition of Black Self-Government Act in 1959 was the final piece of the initial apartheid puzzle, uh, couched as a way to give autonomy to blacks, though it essentially cut them out completely from overarching government. Uh, splitting the white, the non-white area into ten districts would further reduce the chances of blacks gaining any political ground. After that, well, it got no better until it was repealed in 1994, following overwhelming international pressure. And that is really the fast, and very, you know, very fast, very dirty quick, version. Yeah. So uh, someday we will we'll probably expand on that. Certainly. Now, uh, we open up this issue back at the scene where John is standing at Kat Matui's grave. We talked about this last week. It happened in Action Comics Weekly number 604, just before John Stewart was arrested, which is exactly what happens next in this story. <laughs> Jumping ahead to the present, Hal Jordan flies over Washington, D.C., and he arrives on Capitol Hill to testify on John's behalf. Yeah, and worth noting that this kind of happens alongside Action Comics Weekly. Right. It's uh, happening kind of at the same time as what's going on. And, and, um, and pulling from events from that Pulling bits and pieces, right. certainly, yes. Uh, Hal says, uh, the Senate hearing has probably already begun. Today the committee releases its findings in, with regard to Green Lantern's firefights with Star Sapphire. Fights John had nothing to do with. Some time ago, when John was a full-time Green Lantern, he'd revealed his secret ID to the world. So when Green Lantern was involved in those violent clashes with Star Sapphire, John was blamed for all the damages and injuries. And if you didn't listen to last week's episode, that was brand new information to you. Yes, and also shame on you. Go listen to it, please. <laughs> now, inside, it looks as though everything is going well for John during the Senate hearing. Yeah, the F-14 jet pilot, which is another thing from... Uh... We talked about last week, referring to John, says, This is not the Green Lantern I met, not even close. You guys are wasting your time. Yeah, that F-14 would go down in Action Comics Weekly number 602. Uh, and so, see, everything's hunky-dory, except for the fact that the Senate has other charges to levy against Mr. Stewart. Yeah, the senator says, uh, Now, I've just been uh, notified that uh, Mr. Stewart is to be uh, remanded into the custody of the, I say, State Department for extradition proceedings. It seems a certain... Wait for it. African nation has charged him, I say, charged him with grand theft. Rut row. So much for stealing a bunch of diamonds without consequences. Right? Uh, everything my Sucks. everything my family told me was wrong. It was wrong. Uh, <laughs> Al thinks to himself, no, that must be about the diamond I took from that abandoned mine. John's being blamed for something I've done again. Now, after a seemingly misplaced scene of a family having a jovial breakfast several weeks later, we return to John at South Nambian Municipal Jail. Turns out that the daddy from that happy family is actually Guard Captain Gordon Holmes. John's being restrained, and he says, Get off of me! One of the guard goes, Captain Holmes! You better call your boys, Jack, because I've had all I'm going to take. To which... Gordon Holmes grabs his billy club and cracks it against John's knees. John Stewart, the American. Well, know this boy. I run this jail. He proceeds to beat the ever-loving hell out of John. Don't push me, boy. Remember my name. Remember my face. Dirty American thief, don't come into my jail stirring up trouble. John is dragged away while Holmes shows photos of his daughter to his board subordinate. <laughs> Back in Coast City a few days later, Hal's on the horn trying to get John off the hook for the crimes that he had committed himself. And it ain't going all that well. Yeah, Bill, who's a guy on the phone with Hal, says, Sorry, Hal, I've done all I can. 
In case you haven't noticed, there's a propaganda war going on between South Namibia and the U.S. I'd bet my bottom dollar Hal had not noticed. Probably not. I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> Realizing that there's nobody on Earth he can turn to, Hal oaths up and heads Oa way, uh, where he runs into the last remaining guardian of the universe. This is the old-timer, Appa Ali Apsa. And at this point, he's doing his best easy rider impersonation here. He's riding a giant motorcycle along Oa's barren landscape. He's really living his best life right now. He is. He is. He says... Greetings, Green Lantern of Earth. I'm most pleased to see you. In fact, I'm most pleased to see anyone. Well, when you put it that way, it's hard not to feel special, right? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm better than nobody. Uh, Al Al goes, wait, I need to talk to you. I need your advice. Unfortunate. We Guardians no longer give advice. The old-timer goes on to explain that the only reason he chose to remain on Oa was because all of the energy that was originally contained in the power battery now resides inside of him. Uh, He gives Hal a half-hearted pep talk, you know, hey, it's going to get better, before handing over Jon Stewart's powerless Green Lantern ring. Here, I brought something for you. I dug it out of the Damal's power battery before you arrived here. It belongs to Jon Stewart. It is without power. Whether it remains that way or not is entirely up to you. Nice seeing you, Hal Jordan. Hal takes the ring and he teleports with it right into John's jail cell. What? Green light? Oh, no. More and more people seem to react to Hal that way. Really? Hal Uh, Hal, Hal goes, John, are are you all right? Sure, I'm fine. Now get out. More and more people seem to react to Hal that way, huh? <laughs> Hal goes, look, John, we're friends. Yeah, we're. That was before you got my wife killed, before you smeared my reputation, before I got nailed for your cop the diamond bit. This I deserve, though. Your steal in the diamond was, after all, my idea. Oh, come on, John. You're still hung up on the whole dead wife thing? Come yeah, on. Yeah, come on. Think about the good times, bro. You and yeah. Hal, you know, lanterns <laughs> together. Carol Ferris, Star Sapphire, walked into one of those Senate hearings, you know. I thought she was going to kill all those fat cats, so I took the broad out. She made it look like I killed her. Just in case you didn't listen to last episode, that's how it went down. Whether or not John was really acting in the best interest of those fat cats, we we wouldn't swear to it. (laughs) Now, Hal produces John's Green Lantern ring. My ring? I got it back from Oa. I've channeled half of my own ring's power into it. Also, a duplicate power battery can be materialized with this ring at will. And John slaps the ring out of Hal's hand. <laughs> Who the blazes do you think you are? You kill my wife, ruin my life, now you're trying to make up for it by loaning me part of your power? I think the correct response is thank you. It's a nice thing to do, yeah. yeah. Now Hal throws up his hands and tells John that the ring is his if he wants it. And with that, he ports out. Just then, those prison guards barge in with a pre-written confession, just waiting for John's signature. When John refuses, he gets beaten. Yes, one of the first officers goes, Idiot! Don't you understand? The other one says, All our government wants to do is parade you before the news media, a convicted black in the land of apartheid. Your own government was a party to this. Why not cooperate and get out of here quicker? Next, we see John. He's naked and tied up to some pipes in the prison shower. The guards are taking turns lashing him with their belts. All right, you motherless sod. I'm to teach you some common sense. Lesson one, the pen is mightier than the studded belt. One stroke of your pen will disarm my partner and me and strip us of our power to do you harm. 
Listen to the man, Mr. Stewart. After all, how many beatings have you had? John ain't about to crack, and so he continues to take this beating. An hour later, Gordon Holmes is awoken by a phone call. Something happened to the jail. And that something is that there at this point there ain't much left of it. That's it, it yeah. <laughs> Holmes says, Incredible. All this is the Americans doing. Yeah, some guy goes, Twould seem. Witnesses saw a black man with a glowing ring free the inmates and demolish the sit- the jail. Did he free all the inmates, including Dorian Alexander and Lester Willis? Hi, Gordon, both gone. All right, brace yourself, boys. All hell is about to break loose. Mm-hmm. We jump ahead some days later, and Hal is hard at work saving a baby from a well. This is almost certainly a reference to baby Jessica, which was an 18-month-old girl who fell down a well in Midland, Texas, on October 14, 1987. It took rescue workers 56 hours to free her from the 88-inch well, Casing 22 feet underground And as I recall uh, The news media did not stop the cameras for one second No, I mean There was nothing else on television There was nothing else Those those three days, I'm telling you True, she really took it over Uh, Hal goes, blast it Why did John have to level the jail when he broke out? He's only making things worse. I mean, that's, that really is kind of your gimmick, Al, really. Right? <laughs> the media is having a field day with this. Don't worry. They're about to move on to baby Jessica any minute now. For so sure. Don't yeah. worry. Uh, we jump ahead a handful of weeks, and uh, John Stewart is living in an impoverished neighborhood designated for the Black South Nambians. He's sharing a space with fellow escapee, Dorian Alexander. Dorian tries to recruit him to his cause, but John doesn't commit to anything right, right away. Yes. After oathing up, John flies around the area and he sees some examples of the segregation of apartheid. He thinks to himself, man, these people are horribly disadvantaged. This junk only perpetrates itself, perpetuates itself. The rich gets richer, send their kids to the best schools, give them all the advantages. So by the time those children take their places in society, they will have become just like their parents. To those people, apartheid is an accepted way of life, a necessary evil. And even as a new generation of whites grow up endorsing this lifestyle, a new generation of blacks grow up suffering under it. And this is all it takes for John to come around and decide to throw in with Dorian's group. That's all. Just a little little exposition, a little soliloquy, you're good to go. There you go. Uh, we jump ahead a few nights, and we meet the other guy that John unwittingly broke out. That's Lester Wills. And turns out he's a far less diplomatic fellow than Dorian was. Uh, he and his little group burst into a white family's home, guns ablazing. He says, hey, evening, folks. My name is Lester Willis. Me, me boys and I right like the Robert Steele from wealthy white folk like you. You don't mind, do you? The rich white fella doesn't even get a chance to respond before he's pumped full of lead. He was going to say he didn't mind. That was, a, that was the sad thing. He was going to point to the he safe. Like, I'm fine yeah. with it, yeah. <laughs> do, do you take a check? Um, <laughs> it's then sort of alluded that something unsavory might have happened to the rich white wife. Yeah, we're not going to get into that. Nah. Shortly, Gordon Holmes arrives on the scene. He's filled in on the home invasion, and when he goes inside, he sees the two dead folks. The words white pigs and kill whitey are written on the wall. It's red, could be blood, could be paint, doesn't really matter. Yeah, there's dead people, that's all we need yeah. to know. Uh, an EMT or a coroner or whatever goes, Hope you got a strong stomach. Looks like Will's handiwork. Holmes says, yes, this is his way of doing business. This is definitely the work of Lester Wills, the mad John Stewart set free. Mm, we jump back to Coast City. 
Hal Jordan returns to his hotel room and he finds Superman sitting in his easy chair with a copy of the latest edition of the Daily Planet. It was going to be Superman or Dark Side, right? That's the only people. One or the other, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Superman says. <laughs> you got a snifter, a brandy, or a newspaper. <laughs> have, you, have you seen the paper? The headline of the paper is Murder in South Nambia Escaped Convicts Sought in Slaying. John Stewart is directly responsible for this. He's out of control, needs to be shut down. What I'd like to know is, why aren't you doing just that? You've got some mouth, mister. You barge into my hotel room, then try and lay the blame for this mess at my feet? Who appointed you, God? I don't need you checking up on me, giving me advice, policing my actions. Go play daddy somewhere else. Hal, two people are dead. It's just that simple. If you don't do something about Stuart, I will. This visit has been a courtesy. It's also, uh, we're going to see this visit again very soon. Like we said, that this is running alongside Action Comics Weekly. And uh, right. when we get to Action Comics Weekly 622, we're going to see up, this yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, we jump back to Nambia, and John and his new pal Dorian are totally pranking the politicians, yo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> using John's lantern powers, they actually stack all the politicians' cars atop one another. It's, it's quite a sight. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, they also burn the words end apartheid into the grass. Uh, together, they discuss holding a demonstration of sorts during the Harbor Festival. Uh, it seems here that this Dorian is a whole lot more chill than Wills was. Well, I mean, kind of. He still wants John to sink a pair of tankers that the Whites are about to unveil. But he's less scary. He's less hands-on, I think, <laughs> yes. to the, the murder. So uh, Later on, Dorian chats up one of his buddies and sets up a backup plan just in case John gets cold feet. Yeah, Dorian goes, are the explosives planted on both tankers? The flunky says, all set. In case John can't go through with our plan, now we have a backup. We jump ahead a few more days later where Hal catches up with Superman in space. Superman is punching meteors, which is just one of those things he likes to do. Yeah, why not? <laughs> if, you can, goes, if you can do it, you should. You can you'd like it. Of course. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. Uh, Hal goes, I can't believe the way I yelled at you the other day. Forget about it. I can't. It's almost funny, but a couple of weeks before you visited me, I'd actually sought the moral guidance you offered me. Well, actually, Hal just wanted his friendship. Uh, we were there for that awkward phone call during Action Comics Weekly number 606. And which, like we said last week, is a scene that will be sort of kind of important later on. Superman says, I'm nobody's moral guide, Hal. I've got a few problems in that area myself. Thanks anyway. I'll, I'll handle John. Always knew you would, Hal. From there, we jump ahead a week to the Harbor Festival. Now, the South Nambian government is using this occasion, as we mentioned, to unveil a pair of new tankers, which by now we already know have explosives planted on mm -hmm. them. The celebration commences, and all the black Nambians are forced to stand behind a barricade. Yes, the uh, Holmes family drives in, and uh, Holmes's daughter looks out and sees the blacks behind the barricade and goes, Father, why are those people so angry? It's because they are not invited to the Harbor Festival. Why would they not invite it? Because it's our festival. Oh, you ask a stupid question. <laughs> there right? you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, later, during the unveiling, a pair of sentries get knocked out via a glowing green boxing gloves. Those classics never go out of style, let me tell you. Yes. Uh, this is, of course, John Stewart. He wills up a trio of construct cannons and aims them right at those tankers. Listen up, chumps. These tankers were built by the blood and sweat of the black South Nambians. The true South Nambians. The people you fat cats abuse and oppress. Well, all that stops. Now. 
Suddenly, John's constructs explode. Whoa. It's the other Green Lantern, the white guy. Guy Gardner? <laughs> Kyle Rayner? That one? John says, <laughs> you, I should have known. What's it going to be, Hal? John, what the blazes do you think you're doing? I'm making my point. You're abusing your privilege, perverting that ring I gave you. I'm responsible for you, mister. Uh-huh. Listen, man, I'm just answering to that higher morality you hid behind when it suited your purpose. That was different. And yeah. John, yeah, John <laughs> socks Hal in the face. Wrong. There's no difference, partner. There's just your opinion versus mine, and I'm going with mine. And with that, John flies off, fully prepared to destroy those tankers. John takes aim, however, before he can let fly with the green stuff, Hal tackles him from behind. Somebody sold you a bill of goods, mister. What you're doing is flat out wrong. If anything, it'll only strengthen this government's resolve. Don't you see? You're playing right into their hands. Hal repeatedly slams John into the ground, looking more maniacal by the panel. Could it be mind games? Sadly, no, not this time. Nah. We're not gods, John. We're men. We wield great power, yet we must wield it wisely. How much do you want to bet Owsley wanted to say responsibly here? I bet oh, he every did. cent in my Yeah, for you. sure. <laughs> I don't know what's... <laughs> Hal goes, I don't know what's right any more than you do. And then a white South Nambian approaches and says... Someone! Someone stop him! He's killing that man! You're out of control, John. I'm shutting you down. The White South Nambian jerks Hal off of John and mm. says, Hey, he's had enough, mister. Do you want to kill him? Hal thinks to himself, John's ring protects him with a force field. I wasn't hurting him nearly as bad as I appeared to be. This well-meaning bystander has given John time to get focused. Indeed he did, Hal. Enough time for John to get focused and punch you with a giant construct fist. With a thoom, John sends Hal flying. He actually crashes through both tankers. Hal plummets into the drink, and before he can get his bearings, John's already got his hands clasped around his neck. Gordon Holmes looks into one of Hal- <laughs> Gordon Holmes looks into one of the Hal-shaped holes in the hull. Say that five times fast. Nope, and uh, he <laughs> can see a bomb. The docks are quickly evacuated, but not before Dorian shoots Holmes in the chest. The other South Nambian officials respond by shooting Dorian in the neck. Dorian falls from a raised platform and winds up stampeded by the frantic South Nambians. The bullet in the neck and the fall probably already killed him, though, before that. Yeah. So, Now, uh, meanwhile, John and Hal are still fighting. Until those bombs go off, that is. Whoa. I'll take care of the ships. You get the diplomats. How? Why do those ships explode? Huh? What are those people shouting? We're glad you asked, John, because it turns out that the Black South Nambians are shouting... Kill them! them, Kill them! Kill them! This is, uh, of course, in reference to the diplomats that John is trying to safely carry away in a green bubble. John realizes that with a single thought he could do just that, kill every last diplomat. But he doesn't. So, in other words, with great power comes... Yeah, we already did that one. Oh. Uh, later on that day, John and Hal have a heart-to-heart. I couldn't do it. Thought about it, though. Murder just ain't my style, Hal. I know. You're, you're a good man, John. A good friend. Yeah, lump friend in there while you can, Hal, because... <laughs> Every chance. Every chance. But a bad GL. I had no idea those people were killed by the man I set free. That's got my head real messed up. John hands over his ring. I don't deserve this. It's too dangerous for me to keep it. Maybe. 
Maybe not, but I trust you, John. And with that, John decides to keep his ring. And after a nice little pep talk, he and Hal part company. Think I'll cruise the stars for a while till I get my head straight. Can't get rearrested if he ain't on Earth. <laughs> right? That's smart. <laughs> yep. And Hal, Hal says, good luck, John, and we are out of the special. Yeah, back to the weekly. Right back to the weekly. Action Comics Weekly number 621, October 11th, 1988. This came with a Joe Orlando cover featuring Blackhawk. Story is called Gremlins by James Owsley and M.D. Bright. They're both listed as co-plotters, and uh, although Owsley did do the Green Lantern special, let's meet him again here. Uh, James Christopher Owsley, born June 30th, 1961 in Hollis, Queens, New York. We now know him as Christopher Priest, or just Priest, and uh, we'll very likely be referring to him interchangeably throughout his bio and every bio we ever do of him. Yeah. Uh, he would start out uh, as a kid as a DC fan, then he grew up into Marvel. He'd enter the comics uh, industry as an intern for Marvel in 1978, and he would officially join their editorial staff in 1979. He worked for Paul Lakin as the managing editor on Crazy Magazine, and he was the first African-American editor in the comic book industry. He assisted Larry Hama uh, as editor on the Conan titles as well. Owsley made his professional writing debut with issue number one of the Falcon miniseries. That was four issues, November 1983 to February 1984 cover dates. He began writing Power Man and Iron Fist with number 11, November 1984 cover date. And he was made full editor of the Spider-Man comic books from 1985 to 1986. Professional and personal disagreements eventually led to his leaving Marvel. In an interview with Vulture.com, then-Marvel editor-in-chief Jim Shooter recalled, He wasn't good at editing. He's obviously a smart guy, but I but just had no interest in bureaucracy and wasn't dealing real well with getting people to work on time and keeping a schedule and all that stuff. There was also a feeling among Marvel staff that Priest gave preferential treatment to African-American freelancers. According to a post on Priest's blog, digitalpriest.com, while waiting for the paychecks to arrive, Priest had several black and one white freelancer hanging around his office one day. He recalls, The next morning, my boss, Jim Shooter, appeared in my doorway and, embarrassed as hell, said others had raised a concern that I was firing all the white people and replacing them with black people. He felt the claim had no merit, but still, when several people he trusted had come to his office saying I was having a meeting with and attempting to organize the black creators at Marvel, he felt it his responsibility to look into it. After a dust-up caused by a misunderstanding regarding the famine relief project Heroes for Hope, uh, 1985, starring the X-Men, uh, Priest would leave Marvel editorial. In a Vulture.com interview, uh, Jim Shooter would explain, I called him into my office and said, I have to fire you. And he said, thank you. <laughs> uh, Priest would continue writing for Marvel even after Jim Shooter's departure, but he felt things were too tense there to keep soliciting work. Uh, his writing tenure on Power Man and Iron Fist would conclude with Iron Fist's controversial death in the final issue of that series, issue number 125, September 1986, cover date. And, as we know now, he had a pair of stints as writer of Green Lantern during Action Comics Weekly, the second of which we're about to discuss right now. But first, let's talk about Mark D., a.k.a. M.D. Bright, across the table, was born in 1955, somewhere in America, growing up in Montclair, New Jersey. He graduated from the Pratt Institute with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in 1974, his earliest work was a three-page story in D.C.'s House of Mystery in 1978. 
There are conflicting reports online as to which issue his work appeared in, but they all agree that it was 1978, though he may have been uncredited, so we're not sure. (laughs) Uh, His first regular gig was penciling the Falcon Limited series for Marvel, November 1983 to February 1984 cover dates, which, as we just mentioned, was written by Jim Priest Owsley. He'd rejoined Priest for the last 11 issues of Power Man and Iron Fist, issues 115 to 125, March 1985 to September 1986 cover dates, and Bright would become a rather prolific during this time, having runs on Iron Man during the Armor, Armor Wars story arc, and this very Green Lantern feature in Action Comics Weekly. Yes, we go back to the story where Hal is scanning and uh, scanning the flaming G2-class dwarf star named Sol. Uh, his ring picked up this stress call from a spacecraft. Uh, considering that Sol is literally a flaming yellow ball, this is probably a pretty risky proposition <laughs> for a Green so, Lantern, yeah. right? Uh, now, Hal saves the ship, which looks kind of like a naval mine. Right, and, uh, it does. He's, <laughs> and he heads off to uh, work. Oh, yeah, by the way, this is the start of an all-new story, so forget all that apartheid stuff, we're somewhere new. Uh, Hal arrives to work late at Ferris Aircraft. He thinks to himself, late again, hope I don't get fired. Took me long enough to clear up all the damage done to my rep at Ferris Aircraft. He suits up and tosses his power ring into his locker. Yeah, I'll leave the ring behind. (laughs) After all, what could happen? Oh, come on, really. You know, definitely something will happen now. Uh, (laughs) Hal has a rather eventful outing on his test jet. He loses an engine and nearly loses his life. He thinks to himself, if I wasn't about to die, I'd actually be enjoying this. Hearts (laughs) up in my throat, palms all clammy. Every gauge in this cockpit tells me I'm a goner. Tells me I'm an idiot for having left my ring in the locker. Well, yeah, hello. Uh, He manages to pull it out in the end, landing the jet with only one engine. Another pilot goes, he's down! How did it? Son of a gun! After Hal lands, the gremlins head in to check out the works. Hal thinks to himself, the gremlins are stripping the auto system down to find the cause of the engine failure. Now, a gremlin, when it comes to aviation, is usually a reference to whatever is messing with an aircraft. Uh, you know, the gremlins in the wing made it in the engine, or whatever, yeah. yeah. But we gather that Hal is actually referring to the Ferris support staff, the uh, technical crew or whatever. In particular, Hawk, Chip, and decks of elite design consultants. Hal grabs his ring from his locker and goes to charge it when... The power battery explodes. Oh. It probably was one of those Nokia jobs, you think, maybe? Might have been. Yeah. A little uh, expanded, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, this sends him flying back. Rather than putting him in a coma, like when this very thing happened to Guy Gardner in Green Lantern Volume 2, number 116, May 1978, cover date. But that did give Hal the opportunity to move in on Guy Gardner's girlfriend and almost yeah, marry her. That's right. What a guy, what a guy. Uh, now, after Hal regains his bearings, he sees a yellow beam emanating from the wreckage of his battery, and it's pointing deep into space. Ooh, over to Action Comics Weekly number 622 on sale October 18th, 1988. The cover is Green Lantern by Ron Friends. The story is titled The Edge of Forever by Owsley and Bright. Hawk, Dex, and Chip from Elite Design Consultants rush into the locker room to find out what the big boom was all about, and they find Hal putting pieces of a green object into a sack. He goes, I dropped an old clock. Dex says, Clock must be real special for you to break out all wild on these lockers like this. Yeah, nice try, Hal, right? These guys idiots? Give me a break. Yeah. (laughs) Outside, Hal lanterns up and has the stark realization that... Without that battery, my career is finished. He follows the remnants of that yellow beam he saw at the end of the last chapter, and at this point, he's several hours into his space trek. 
Got to catch that beam. Then maybe zip over to Owen and try to fix my battery. You know, if his ring runs out of juice, this might just be a one-way trip. Right? Might just putter out in the middle of space. Uh, if it starts to catch and cough, you know, you got trouble. Yeah, you uh, start to hiccup away. Yeah. Right. <laughs> More time passes, and Hal continues to think. I need help on this. Yes, this, this is a job for Superman. Uh, with his telescopic vision and ability to fly at light speed, Superman could take up the chase and then zip on Oa to help me with my lantern, my lantern battery problem. Well, maybe not. Uh, Hal thinks back to his last visit with the Man of Steel when he said, John Stewart, the alternate Green Lantern, is out of control, Hal. Two people died because of him. If you don't do something about it, I will. This visit has been a courtesy. Deja vu, man. Uh, now, Hal thinks on it some more, and he concludes that both he and Superman are basically Boy Scouts. And then he begins to wonder. Is that true, or is that just how I see our relationship? He relives that last visit with Superman again, and now Superman says, Look, Hal, you're a superhero with power almost on my level. You've got to start acting more responsibly. Look at me. You don't see me involved in endless strings of personal crises. Jeez, Hal, you don't even have an apartment. You've got to stop screwing up, Hal. I hope we won't have this conversation again. Hal continues to think, and uh, <laughs> his reliving of the events get even more crazy. Yeah. You're a wimp, a weasel, and a loser. You aren't half the man that I am, and you never will be. I'll solve your little problem for you. In fact, from now on, I'll handle everything. Here on in, your power ring is to be used only to signal me. And by this point, that sounds like something Superman would say. Yeah. Right. Uh, by this point, Hal's completely freaked himself out and decides he's got nobody to count on except himself. Yeah, he thinks to himself, no turning back, no second thoughts. This is it. Is there a new beginning? Or a very final end. That is the end of the story, but we jump into Action Comics Weekly, number 623. On sale October 25th, 1988. It's got a cover by Brent Anderson of Superman. Uh, the story is called Priest by Owsley and Bright. Interesting. That's weird. Uh, anyway, it's uh, it's been 10 hours since Hal has last charged his ring. He has to do it every 24 hours in case yes. you forgot the rules. Uh, this yellow bream brings him to a small planet, and as he wanders the terrain, Hal comes across a red humanoid with very long arms. He approaches the creature. Hold it right there, friend. I'm the Green Lantern of Space Sector 2814. Are you the one responsible for... And then Hal blasts the critter with his beam. <laughs> uh, but the critter catches the beam and takes off into the sky, dragging Hal along with him. He's carried all the way in into a metallic synthetic planetoid where the red fella drops him. This is embarrassing. Inside, Hal is greeted by a sentry droid that blasts at him, and uh, he blocks it with a construct shield. Further inside, Hal runs into a whole litter of dumpy-looking aliens, and the red one finally introduces himself as Priest. We already did the hmm thing, right? Yeah, we, yeah, we did that okay. already. Okay, good. Just want to make sure. Uh, now, Hal is informed that he was brought here to prevent a war. And just then, they're attacked. Uh, one of the dumpy aliens rushes behind Hal for protection when one of the evil aliens rushes in. We're assuming that the other aliens are the evil ones, right? Yeah, we're just working on the limited information we're getting yeah. here. So, you know. <laughs> uh, When the dust settles and the attack ebbs off, uh, Hal realizes that the little bumpy alien was killed. Yeah, he thinks to himself, at least my ring protected me. And then seeing the little dead guy goes, the little guy, Lord, war. Brutal. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Hal turns his attention to Priest. 
Priest, you're so powerful, so intelligent. Why didn't you do something to stop this bloodshed? I did take action, Hal Jordan. I sent for you. With that, Hal removes his cute little mask and says, All right, I'm in. Where do we start? And we'll find out where it starts next week. Oh, we'll be right back into Action Comics Weekly Issues. Uh, continuing on from whatever whatever number six twenty four forward, uh, you know, I, I just want to say, you know, this is it's interesting. The relationship between Hal and Aresia is something people talk about all the time. You know, being sure. being wrong or you know being whatever they think about it. Uh, and so, if you don't know, Aresia is definitely in the Green Lantern core comic book. She's couched as being young, but yeah. I don't recall that ever really. Nailing an age in there? No, am I wrong? Am I wrong about that? I I want to say that they gave her they gave her an age that was under eighteen, but where she comes from? Oh it's, no no no! They actually didn't because her appearance as a teenager is actually indicative of of, a, of an older age where she comes from. That, that, that's so I don't I know if they is. ever hammered out a number. I think but, you're right. But but they definitely make give this. You know, she's definitely the the bubbly teen. It it seems like a sure. like, kind of a, a wrong relationship, but you know, it's never really addressed. In any, in, in, to my memory, at least, in any kind of specific way, but that's what happens here. That this is where that happens, where we address the fact that Hal is older than her, or at least like Certain. she's behaving that way, and that their relationship is strange. You know, they, again, they're not literally saying this is a pedophilic relationship that should no. turn your stomach, but they're kind of getting <laughs> they're, they're dancing around. They're, they're just, skirting it. They're yeah. sort of, <laughs> and, and I feel like this is the place it's dealt with the most stuff. Uh, most forward of all any of the Green Lantern things. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep going through it, but this is obviously, I think, less remembered because it is embedded within Action Comics, you know, and it's, like, harder harder to collect. It's not collected. There's a lot of things behind it. But uh, I'm having a great time with it. This is definitely one of the strangest. It's I think what's so strange about this so far is that in so many ways it's so normal. You know what I mean? It's, (laughs) It's true. It's just, like, the weird weekly stories of Hal Jordan, but it's just, like... Uh, it's just it's just it's something very bizarre and off about it, but uh, it's it's like a Twilight Zone almost, but like a like a normal Twilight Zone. It's like yeah. it's like it's like you know the the, sub- the suburban town with no dire secrets, it's just a, <laughs> just a normal suburban boring town. You know, it's like who's the alien? Nobody, nobody's the nobody. alien. They're just regular. Uh, anyway, uh, we hope you're enjoying it out there. If you have anything else to say, I know that uh, I saw Andrew's already on getting on the uh, Action Comics Weekly. It's Man true. Bag, yeah, and he, he went out. He got he's getting the set. So got the first three issues, yeah, it's if, great. If you guys have uh, dug into your collections, or you are not trying to follow along, or you have anything you want to tell us about, please write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail We have a Patreon over at patreon.com slash Chris and Reggie. Uh, we do have some uh, exclusive content for. Uh, we do a comic cosmic treadmill after dark once a month, plus two episodes of us gabbing about comics issues. And if you just like what we do, you want to chip in, we'd appreciate it over at patreon.com slash Chris and Reggie. Certainly. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cosmic T-mill history and over on Instagram at cosmic T-mill. We're on Twitter at Cosmic T-Mill, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. Uh, you can check out our weekly writings on uh, current DC Comics at Weird Comics. Oh, I'm sorry, WeirdScienceDCComics.com. There's also uh, some some classics that Reggie's look, looking at, and uh, we're also part of their weekly podcast if you want to check that out as well. That's right. We do the Sandman Universe books uh, over we there do. every week. And if you want to see Chris's personal blog, see him review a different DC comic every day of the week, check him out over at Chris's Infinite Earth. Uh, dot com where he's really gotten into the uh, 
Wild Titans side. Hunt. What did I see today that blew my? Oh God! It was the uh, Brave and the Bold between Terry, Terry Long <laughs> was, and, and Pariah. Terry Long and Pariah teaming up. I joked that it was the Brave and the Bold issue I think that we, you never knew you needed. I think we might, need, we might need to do that issue just so I can dust off <laughs> my Pariah. So I can do oh, my Pariah. You know? Oh, it's so bad. And I, I actually was able to to take a take a picture of an of a panel where Pariah is crying, and it's yes. just him and Terry in the panel. It's so, it's, it's amazing. It's, that might that might become our insane. new. Uh, uh, our new logo. Our new logo. <laughs> uh, anyway, you got to check that out. Chris is at InfiniteEarth.com every day. New DC comic review. You can check out the show site, weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com. There you'll be able to find our show notes and our links and all that good stuff. Also, chronological listing of all of our programming. Uh, I think every show we do has its own page there now. So if you want to binge on anything we do or if you're just looking for a particular episode, uh, it's pretty easy to control F and, and find yeah, it. No, on that, that's, that's definitely the place to do it. Podbean is not really the place to do that kind of thing. And while you're over there at weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, give a click over on the banner to 80stees.com. We've partnered with them uh, for the holidays to uh, offer some T-shirts to you guys at, you know, their prices. But if you click over there and, and you like what you see and you want to pick some up, it's really, it's all kinds of what you can imagine what it would be, 80s stuff, pop culture, pop culture uh, yeah. comics are in there, you, you, you name it, they have T-shirts for everybody. So head over to our site, click the banner for 80stees.com, and you'll be doing us a big favor. But uh, I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? Just a little teaser that next week we're going to meet... Malvolio. Ooh, I think I used to play uh -huh. that on the stoop when I was a kid. <laughs> right? Malvolio, Malvolio, come home, Malvolio. Are you going to remember that anyway? <laughs> you, had to, you had to have a Spalding uh, ball and a penny. That was how we played it. Well, if they, we'll tell you the rules to that next week, but if that's yes. all we got from this week, Chris, I'm going to tell them to keep it on the treadmill weekly. See ya. In Milan, quite illegal. Milan, dig out me go in a Milan, digging out the pearl in a Milan, dig out me diamond. He had to fight, 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 fight against the 